Stand with me. Stand with me. We've had a wonderful week. We've had a wonderful day. The first service was exceptional. So thank you all for coming. Happy Father's Day. America is weak because America has weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have non-existent or very weak dads. If we can fix the father problem, we can fix the family, we can fix the church. We just might even fix this other thing. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. There's a lot of America left in America. If you don't believe that, go tell Anheuser-Busch. Go talk to Target. There's a lot of people in this country upset. There's a lot of people that still want a real church that'll teach what a man is and what a woman is. And so, hallelujah. So I'm encouraged. Wouldn't offend me if Anheuser-Busch went out of business. Tell them bums, you know. Hallelujah. Genesis 32 and verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. It's time to go to L. It's time to go to L. God bless you. You may be seated. The triumvirate in the Old Testament, he is so often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't have much in common, if anything, with Abraham. If you read the first chapter of the book of Leviticus, it will tell you the procedure required when you have a burnt offering. Now, all my boys have been girls, but if I had a boy, I don't have the faith to cut the throat of my son, to dismember his body, lay him very precisely on a pile of wood, And then have enough faith to believe that just as God made man from the dust in the beginning, that he could give me my son back by scooping up the dust still warm from that fire and give me my boy back. I can't relate to that. I just can't. I I, I have... I don't think I have anything in common with Isaac. But now, but then there's Jacob. The word Jacob means deceiver, manipulator, con, (laughs) liar. I have a lot in common with Jake. I can relate to his flaws and his failures much easier than I can relate to Abraham's faith. So I personally get a lot of inspiration and hope when it said, he's not just the gods of Abraham's and Isaac's. He wants bums like me too. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Taking into account my crowd, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. You have two brothers, Jacob and Esau. First of all, is he, his brother, he, he gets the birthright for a bowl of beans. <clears throat> then daddy senses his mortality and he says to Esau, go shoot me a deer, and make me some savory stew. and I'll eat the stew, bless you and die. Well, mom hears that. She gets Jacob. They deceive the old man. They get some hair from a hide of, a, of an animal and put it on his arms and around the back of his neck. Get some of that camouflage out of Esau's room and she knows how to make that stew. Comes in there, you know, the old man's blind. But he's not dead, not by a long shot. Because he knows. Feels like Esau's arms. Smells like that old musty camo jacket he always wears. Tastes like his soup. But that voice. <laughs> hi, hi there. <coughs> Hi, Daddy. It's Esau. You know? He said, it's the voice of Jacob. Nevertheless, he overrides his reluctance, blesses Jacob. He's walking out of Daddy's bedroom because he's got them both now. He's got the blessing. He's got the birthright. Bible said that Esau cried Carefully, he sought it with tears. He begged his dad, come on, dad, give me a blessing too. And he said, I can. It's a one and done thing. Now, I know God's merciful and I know he does things again and again, but I can prove to you in the Bible, there's a lot of things that happened one time. And if you miss that one time, you don't get another shot at it. And... Uh, the window closed on Esau. He comes out of daddy's bedroom and he looks at his brother and he said, when daddy dies, um, you won't be riding back home in the hearse. We're going to dig two holes because when daddy dies, I'm going to kill you. So he takes off. For years, I read that story and just assumed he's like a 16 year old kid. But I want you to pitch your mental tent here with me for about three minutes. Follow me real close. I know, according to Genesis 47 and verse 28, how old Jacob was when he died. 147 years. I also know by that same verse that Jacob spent the last 17 years of his life in Egypt. When he, you know, <clears throat> so he's under the protection of his son, Joseph. Now, you go to Genesis 37 and verse 2. I know 
how old Joseph was when his brothers sold him. 17, Genesis 37 and verse 2. And I know according to Genesis 41 and verse 46, he was 30 years old when Pharaoh promoted him to be over all that grain. So I know that according to the dream, there had to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. So if I add the age of Joseph when he was promoted over all the grain, he was 30. I'm going to say that his dad came in the middle of the famine. So you have seven years of plenty, let's say three years of famine. So if his dad came, the Bible said about 70 souls. If his dad came with the rest of the family in the middle of the famine, that's 10 years that Joseph was in charge. And I know that after his dad came, his dad spent the last 17 years of his life in Egypt. So if you add 30, which is the age of Joseph, when he was promoted by the king, and add 10 years to that, seven years of plenty, three years of famine, that's 40 So Joseph was 40 years old when his dad came. His dad spent the last 17 years of his life in Egypt. So we have 57. If you subtract those 57 years from the age of Jacob when he died, that gives us 90. Which means Jacob was 90 years old when Joseph was born. You with me? I know that Jacob, it's Genesis 31 and verse 38, I know that Jacob served Laban, his father-in-law, for 20 years. So if I take those 20 years off, it's 70, which is the age of Jacob when he left home. It could have been 67 if he came the first year of the famine. It could have been 74 if he came the last of the seven years of the famine. But the age range is 67 to 74. I took the middle, the third year of the famine. My point is obvious by now. Jacob is... Not some 16-year-old kid when he ran away from home, away from Esau. He's at least 70 years old. And this is what he said when he had that ladder dream. Every other translation calls it a staircase, which I like better. Because he said, I saw angels going up and coming down. Someday I'm going to preach you a message called, Everybody Needs a Ladder Every Now and Then. This is what happened when he woke up the day after that dream. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go 
and will give me bread to eat and raiment or clothes to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then, watch, watch carefully. Then shall the Lord be my God. If God will be with me, if he'll keep me, if he'll make sure I don't starve, if he makes sure I don't go naked, if I can come home one day and it be with peace and not war, then I'll serve you. Then you'll be my God. This is a man whose father is Isaac. His grandpa is Abraham. He is at least 67 years old and probably 70. He doesn't have a personal walk with his God. Daddy's got one. Grandpa's got one. But you're going to have to do all this stuff for me and then I'll serve you. There are lots of names that God is given in the Old Testament. We know that today his saving name is Jesus. But if you're just a cursory student of the Bible, you're aware of a word called Yahweh or possibly Jehovah or Elohim. When you use the word L, E-L, it's just an abbreviated way of saying Elohim. Have you ever heard of El Shaddai? It's kind of like the word hallelujah. That's the way we pronounce it. Hallelujah. There's another way to say it. Halal, ye, yah. Halal is the Hebrew word for praise. Yah, J-A-H, is a contraction of Jehovah or Lord. So when you say halal ye Yah, you're saying praise ye the Lord. So when I tell you, let's praise the Lord, don't say hallelujah. You're just telling me to praise the Lord. Got it? (laughs) I'm a hillbilly kid. And all my life I heard hallelujah. (laughs) And I don't know if Yah gets offended by being referred to as your or not. But I think he got the message. (laughs) My wife's dad was from Boston. He always talked about turn to Isaiah. Um, I'm a long way off of my message right now, but uh, just as J-A-H or Yah is a shortened form of Jehovah, L is a contraction of Elohim. So when Jacob woke up from his dream, it was called Luz. Luz means an almond branch cut off. Most trees have three component parts. They have the bark, and then they have a very dense core, which is known as pith, P-I-T-H. 
Between the core and the bark is something called cambium. Almond wood is very unique because there's no cambium. It's all dense core surrounded with bark. So the name of the place was Luz, which means an almond or an almond branch cut off, which means it's very dry. He renames it. This is Bethel. Bethel. Beth, as you probably are aware of, means house of. El, as I've showed you, is a contraction of Elohim. So when you say Bethel, the house of God, that's what he called it. It's years later. Jacob's coming back home now with all of his stuff. Guess what? God did keep his word. He did keep him. He clothed him. He fed him. Now it's time to ask for the last thing. I want to go back home to peace. In Genesis 32, when he left Laban's house, it said he went on his way and the angels of God met him. I love this for, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. But then he got some bad news. It's in verse six. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we found your brother. He's coming to meet you and he's not by himself. He's got an army with him. He's got 400 armed men. It says in 32 and 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. Takes his family, all of his, you know, there's flocks and herds. Flocks are sheep and goats and herds are cows. If you know the story, he's got it all now. Got all the cows, all the sheep, all the goats, all the camels, got two wives, at least 11 boys. He saw these angels. <laughs> I saw an angel when I was five years old. I'm 66 today. But I still remember that man standing in front of me as I lay crying in my grandmother's bed after being in a terrible auto accident, hit by a drunk driver, seeing my bloody mother loaded into an ambulance. I was sure she was dead. I don't remember who took me back to my grandmother's house. I do remember her tucking me into that impossibly soft bed that she had. She left, and there he was, standing right by me. He never said one word to me. And I am jabbering away and crying and boohooing and sobbing and telling him about my dead mom and my pastor and his wife. 
And the longer I talked, this non-verbal transaction went on between me and this man. And the longer I talked, peace came over me. My grandmother opened the door and said, Harold Eugene, who are you talking to? And I'll never forget looking at my grandmother and I'm saying, Grandma, the man, the man, where did the man go? My grandmother, who was a praying coal miner's wife, sensed the afterglow of that being, fell to her knees, <laughs> rubbed me on the head and said, Harold, that was your angel. He will be with you for the rest of your life. And then she said something very precious. Oh my God, boy. What's the Lord going to do with you? He saw these angels. And he goes back to the place where God first met him. Where he wrestled with the angel. The first one was a dream. This one's a wrestling match. If you'll study the minor prophets, especially the book of Micah, he talks about Jacob interceding. So this is no simple wrestling match. This is a prayer meeting. And when I say that, it's it's rhetorical. It really was a prayer meeting. Did you ever have a prayer meeting? I'm not talking about praying. I'm talking about meeting somebody when you pray. Jacob met the angel of the Lord. And that angel did something that has always amazed me. It's in 32 and 27. What's your name? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time wrapping my mind around something as powerful as an angel being so ignorant that he has no idea who he's wrestling with. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 45, the Bible says, not only does the Lord know your name, he knows your surname. In other words, he doesn't just know that I'm Harold. He knows I'm Harold Hoffman. He knows my first name and my family name. So I have a hard time thinking that there's a God that knows my name and my first name. And as he dispatches this angel, he says, I want you to go down there and wrestle with, uh, what's his name? This is a self-confession. I've learned lots of crazy names in my life. I've never heard anyone call their daughter Jezebel. Who are you? This is not for the angel's information. The angel knows who he's wrestling with. But listen to the response. I've been a liar. I've been a deceiver. I haven't been honest. 
Now we're getting somewhere. Now I can work with you. Because you are willing to admit who you are. And just as importantly, who you aren't. Listen to 28. You're never going to be known by that name again. From this day forward, your name's going to be Israel, which means the one that wrestled with God and prevailed. For as a prince, you have power with God and with men. (laughs) Did Jacob win or did the Lord win? Who prevailed over who? And because you have chosen to give the Lord, or better said, because you've chosen to make him your Lord. He's going to share something with you. Because you're willing to give your life to him. He's going to give you power and influence not only with himself, but with people. Now watch what happens. He built there an altar. And he called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him. When he fled from the face of his brother. Do you get what I'm trying to get across today? Do you understand my pitiful attempt to play on words? It's time to go to L. Because before it was Beth L, which means house of God. But this time's different. This time he went to L, Beth L. He met the God of the house of God. You see, the first time, he just went to church. He went to God's house. But this time, he met the God that owned the house. I've been to the White House, but I've never met the president. I met Ronald Reagan years ago in Houston when he was running for president, but I've never met the president. I've been to the Manoogian Mansion. I've never met the mayor of Detroit. Daddy, it's not enough just to go to church. When was the last time you met the master of the mansion? The God whose house you are in. David said in Psalms 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I personally believe that Joseph is the greatest Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. The, the similarities, there's dozens and dozens of similarities to Joseph and sold for pieces of silver and <clears throat> sold by his brethren and betrayed 30 years old when his real ministry be. It just goes on and on and on. And when you start at Genesis 37, every chapter from chapter 37 of Genesis through 50 
It's, it's always about Joseph with the exception of one chapter. There's one chapter that to me is out of sync. It's Genesis chapter 38. 37 says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his brothers. Israel, of course, just another name for Jacob. But 38 tells the story of Judah. And he's got a daughter-in-law by the name of Tamar. She's married to Judah's oldest boy. I don't know what he did. It just said God killed him. As the custom was, his brother married his brother's widow. It said God killed him. Judah's got one boy left and tells her, when my youngest son comes of age, I'll make sure he takes away your shame and he marries you. But he didn't. When Tamar realizes her father-in-law has lied to her, and <laughs> I sure wouldn't have wanted to have been brother number three. <clears throat> you want me to marry her? She's like a black widow, dude. Just... Anyway, Tamar plays the harlot. He's on a business trip. He wants a little horizontal refreshment. When the service is done, he is conveniently out of cash. She says, that's okay, give me a ring, a signet ring, and give me your, your staff. When I lived in Japan, they have a custom in Japan. You, you can get something that's known as a hanko. Hanko is a little piece of plastic, ivory, whatever, and you, had a, you registered it with the government. And when you signed documents, you didn't have to sign your name. You just took this stamp and you stamped these documents and it was the equivalent of your personal signature. That's what a signet ring is. It was, it was him giving her his password to his Chase account. He comes back the next day to pay her for services rendered. She's gone. He's out of a ring. He's out of this stick that's been in his family for generations. But he still got the cash. Five months later, he finds out Tamar's pregnant. He parades his pregnant daughter-in-law in front of a group of people and they're going to stone her to death. And he said, you know, do you even know who the dad is? You whore, you. And she reaches in. She said, yeah, you recognize this ring. And I got your stick in my house, too. Self-righteous bum. So, B.B., you do it for me. You get to Matthew chapter 1, probably verse 3. And I'll quote this for you. This is Deuteronomy 23 and verse 2. It's a crude word, but just bear with me. A bastard shall not enter into the house of the Lord for 10 generations. So you go to Matthew chapter 1. And beginning at Judah, watch. Judah 1. Pharez, who's Judah's son from Tamar, 2. Ezram, 4. 
or three rather. Amenadab is four, right? Judah's one, Pharaoh's is two, Ezra is three, Aram is four, Amenadab is five, Naason is six, Salmon is seven, Boaz is eight, Jesse is nine, David is 10. This is why in Psalms 122, this is what he said. I was glad when they said unto me, I can finally go to church. Because for 10 generations, nobody's allowed to go to church, but David's finally allowed to go to church. And that's such a great thing. Hey, would you like to go to church? Yes. But let me tell you something better than that. In Psalm 16 and 11, this is what it says. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be able to go to church. But it's not enough. Let me tell you something better than going to Bethel. El Bethel. Because the presence is better than just sitting in a building. Oh, Jesus. Do you understand? This is our trump card. You understand what we're up against right now? You know, all the, all of the, all of the lifestyles that have screamed at us and we've just tolerated and tolerated. Is it just me or it's just like, it's getting faster now. It's like there's more stupid stuff being thrown at us right now than ever before. I don't know how long God's going to put up with this. I really don't. There's always been a debate in Pentecost. You've always had the uh, one side that says, when the son of man returns, will he find faith? The love of many will wax cold. There'll be a great falling away. That's one side. But there was another argument that went like this. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. I personally believe both of them are right because I see Orthodox Pentecostals failing and falling and just replicating the world that God so miraculously extricated them from. So I do see people getting cold, but at the same time, I see people being added to the church that are more excited than ever. I truly believe the latter house, the last church is going to be greater than anything he's ever had. And I want to be right smack dab in the middle of that. And we're doing everything we can. We've spent, saved rather millions of dollars. We got property paid for. Yes, we'll build a new temple. But please understand, we've got all these wonderful teams in this church. All my life, I wanted teams. All my life, I wanted them. 
You go back in that nursery and meet Phil and Kayla Heskett and find me somebody better than that. Good luck. And you go with these children and you look at Tiffany and Stephen and their teams. <laughs> I challenge you to find Gabby when she's not the same as she is on the platform as she is with them kids. I watched Anthony up here just Lauren. I can go on and on and on. I'll, I'll put our children's ministry up against anybody. I will. I'll put Kento and Bianca and the youth team. We have a great youth team. We got this dude from Dallas and I've told people all over the country, I'm so glad Draylon Young got hit by a car when he was eight. Because he got to go to Bible school with that money and ended up here. He's kind of like John the Baptist. I'm going to decrease. He's going to increase. I know this sounds facetious, but his star is rising. I've told him again and again, Draylon, I was there when Dottie Rambo sold out years ago when I was a kid. And I saw Jimmy Pierce leave. And I, I can name him, boy. <laughs> Talented. But they prostituted their gift for the cash. And I said, Draylon, all I'm asking out of you, boy, would you finally look at that world and say, you can't have my ephod. You can't have my anointing. I refuse. I refuse to sell my gift. I refuse. I don't know what's going to happen with Talisha and Hart, but I know it's getting bigger right now. And there's something in the works right now, which I'm not allowed to tell you about, but I'm asking you to pray because this thing could literally explode. You realize there are 40 million women in this country that had an abortion. You have, you, can you calculate how much guilt that is? How much shame that is? Now she's teamed up with Barry. Said, Barry's got a thing called post-traumatic stress disorder. I thought, what, in, what, what, what was that? And then you see his life group and he's got these men. But I was with Barry this week. I was with him in Ann Arbor. And we were with another pastor's wife. And she said, and what do you do? And he started explaining. He said, I, I'm, I'm a part of something called heart. And I, I minister to men that have been damaged and broke. And that pastor's wife said, oh, oh, we got a guy that could you please Call this man and minister to And Barry said, absolutely. She said, how in the world did you ever end up in this church? And he said, all it took was five minutes. He said, I didn't even get in church. I was in the lobby. And he said, as soon as I was in the lobby, I said, I'm home. I'm home. Talk to him. He's been to dozens of churches experimented with all other stuff. I know this sounds arrogant, but I believe in you. And when I look at our nursery and our children and our youth group and our praise teams, and I look at the caliber of ministry and, and I, 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 I could go on and on with just the servant leadership that's in this church. 
we've done everything we could to get you ready and we'll build another temple, but that's not our trump card. I tell you the thing that separates us from everybody else. It's the favor of God, the anointing of the Lord, the conviction of the Lord. You can't buy that. You can't can that. You can't, Amazon doesn't sell that. That's the one thing we have to jealously guard that we continue to have the favor of God on our lives. Yeah, I want you to come to church, but daddy, it's time to go to hell. You've been going to Bethel for a long time. Now it's time to have a living daily relationship with the God whose house you've been visiting again and again and again. Godly daddies. It's great to go to church, but it's better to meet the Lord. It's just, listen, you gotta, you, you're praying and all of a sudden, wham, he literally rips your socket, your femur out of your hip. You're falling. Read, listen, I, I found this verse. It's in the book of Acts. Acts chapter nine, it said, they let Paul over the wall in a basket. Years later in Corinthians, he refers to that and he said, and through a window in a basket was I let down the wall. Second Corinthians 11. Here's the very next verse. It's not expedient for me, Dallas, to glory, but I'm gonna talk to you about visions and revelations. I knew a man about 14 years ago. He didn't know if he was in the body or out. He was caught up to the third heaven. I can't prove this, but I'm right. I just, I know in my gut I'm right. If you could go back 14 years from Corinthians 12, he's at Lystra. And they've just stoned him to death. I don't know if he was dead, but they were convinced he was dead. And he's crawling out from under this rock pile, swirling in and out of consciousness. Am I in the body or not? And all of a sudden, he's caught up to the third heaven. He said, I saw things that weren't lawful to utter. Study Genesis. He put a firmament between the water and the clouds and the water and the earth, and he called the firmament heaven, heaven. Psalms 19 and verse one said, the heavens, not heaven, heavens, declare the glory of God. Paul refers here to the third heaven. Reason dictates if there's a third heaven, there has to be a second heaven and there has to be a first heaven. I am convinced the first heaven is the atmosphere around this earth. I'm convinced the second heaven is where the stars and the Milky Way and the galaxies live. And the third heaven is the throne of the Lord himself in what we would call New Jerusalem. Remember what he said to Peter, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. See, if there's only one heaven and it's God's heaven, then everything's under control. But he said, there is a place where the things need to be tied up. And there is a place where some things need to be freed and let go. You understand it when you get to the book of Daniel. Daniel set himself to fast and pray for three weeks. And after three weeks, Gabriel came to him and said this. From the first day 
that you began to pray, I was sent with your answer. However, the prince of Persia withstood me. Study the Bible. It's called Eden. Then it's the plains of Shinar. And then it's the Tower of Babel. And the ruins of Babel become the building material for Babylon. Now you're doing with Medes, Babylonians, Medes, and Persians. Persia is the ancient name for modern-day Iran. Mede or Babylon is the ancient name for modern-day Iraq. It's not by chance that that piece of real estate is still a pain in the backside to the planet because that's where Satan established his first beachhead. And the Bible said we wrestle not or we shouldn't wrestle with one another. There are too many Christians that waste time wrestling with brothers and sisters. You need to identify the real enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, power, the rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Five times in the book of Ephesians, the Greek word, four times it's translated heavenly. One time it's translated high. We don't know why, but it's the same word. So I'm biblical in saying principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Satan's not in hell, ma'am. He's not in hell, sir. He's loose. He's the God of the air. He's in that place between where you and I are and where the Lord sits right now. That's why the Bible says, sir, if you don't have your life in order, the heavens will become brass. You're not, your angels ain't going up and taking no answers and nothing's coming down. There is no ladder in your life. But let me tell you what, <laughs> principality is what we would call a county. Louisiana would call it a parish. It's landmass. Do you see that? Principalities, then a power. Queen of England was referred to as the powers that be. That's something that runs a country. And then there's something that runs the world. And there's something bigger than that. Heavenlies. <laughs> oh. We have the ability to tie things up and to let things go. Oh, Loosing, binding. It's the ministry of Jesus. Nobody got the Holy Ghost during the ministry of Jesus. Nobody's baptized in Jesus' name. What is his ministry? Loose him and let him go. Open up his eyes, open up his ears. Send them guys back to their family. It's a ministry of deliverance. It's the power of the church. That people can walk in the lobby and go, whoa, what is that? That's our trump card. If we lose that, we're done. If we lose that, we're sunk. We have to. To keep that alive. And the only way you're going to get it is you're going to have to go down. Pop that hip out of joint. And I see this guy hanging on to that angel like a barnacle on the bottom of a boat. I refuse to let you go. Paul said, I went down in a basket, but then I was caught up to the third heaven. <laughs> in the Old Testament, they had a breastplate, 12 stones on it. Each stone represented one of the 12 tribes, but it was counterbalanced 
by a piece of metal on the priest's back. But the thing that connected the counterbalance of the metal on his back with the breastplate on his chest were these epaulets on his shoulders that were known as ouches. And see, everybody wants the ministry, but nobody wants the ouch. Everybody wants the anointing, but nobody wants the ouch. Paul said, I was on Patmos, but I got in paradise. Listen to Paul. Everybody wants the revelation without the rocks. There is no such thing as revelation without rocks. There is no such thing as a breastplate of righteousness without an ouch. There is no such thing as a paradise without a Patmos. You gotta go down. But if you'll let the Lord humble you. The Bible said he descended and then he ascended. The Bible said, and we will rise to walk in newness of life if we are buried with him. I can go on and on and on. Jacob, dreamer, Joseph. Hey, fellas, I had this dream. You were, you were sheaves of wheat and I was sheaves of wheat, but guess what? I was in the middle and all of you brothers were around me and you were bowing down to me. Isn't that great? You think we're going to bow down to you? you? And then he dreams another dream. It's different. Now it's not just stars. There's a sun and the moon in this orbit. But he's the planet in the middle. And he identifies it. Daddy, you're the sun. Mom, you're the moon. And all of you are stars. But you're in orbit around me. He's 17 when he's sold by his brothers. He's 30 when Pharaoh exalts him. That's 13 years in Potiphar's house and in prison. Somewhere in him 13 years, he lost it. Listen to this verse. It's in Genesis 42 and verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed. I see this long room, aids busily in and out, stamping. Accept and reject. Number 42. How many tons do you need? Hey, check them out. Have they been loyal to us or not? Get out of here, you hopeless bum. You never were loyal. Get out of here. Number 43. And all of a sudden, these 10 guys walk in the back of that room. And as soon as he sees them, it says this. He remembered the dream. And he knew them guys are going to come down here and bow in front of me. Just like I dreamed when I was a junior in high school. And they come down there and they bow in front of him. Is my dad still alive? You know the answer to that, Joseph. Because that's, the dreams are different. See, the first dream is all of his brothers are going to bow down to him. But the second dream is... It's not going to just be brothers. Mom, dad's going to be there too. And they bring them down. You meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. Let me ask you a question, daddy, before we quit. 
How's your limp? How's your limp? See, my question was always, why is Joseph the one that has the dreams? Why is it boy number 11 gets the dreams and none of his 10 older brothers dream dreams? I'll tell you why. The only dad the first 10 knew was a crook and a liar and a con. But the only dad Joseph knew walked like this. And he didn't get it in Nam, and he didn't get it in Desert Storm. You see, my dad, he dragged that foot. He got that in a prayer meeting. That's why you, you got to have more ambition than just these kids go to college. You got to have something deeper, Daddy. You want him? You want him to dream spiritual dreams? You and I have to have a limp. How's your limp, Dad? Are you always arrogant and walking upright or you bent over? Because God touched you in prayer. Henry Ford built the Model T in 1908, $850. First year, they sold 8,000 of them. But between 1908 and 1912, they sold 15 million of them things. After four years, he goes on an extended vacation to Europe with his wife. He's got a number two. His name is William Knudsen. Ford's gone for a couple months. When he comes back, Knudsen's all excited. Boss, we want to show you something we've been working on since you've been gone. And showed him a new car. It had four doors. It had a convertible roof and it was painted brilliant red. Henry Ford walked around the car three times. He opened up the driver's door and he was a strong man. He ripped the driver's door off of the car and threw it away. He went to the other side and opened the front passenger door and ripped it off. He took a pocket knife that he always carried and he cut the canvas off of that convertible top. And then he climbed on the hood and he kicked the windshield so hard again and again until it shattered and fell in pieces. And then just walked out of the room in absolute rage. The next week, William Knudsen tendered his resignation. But six weeks later, Knudsen started a company called General Motors. And it grew so quickly that it forced Henry to build something called the Model A. And guess what? The Model A had four doors. It had a canvas convertible top and you could order it in red. And I just wonder, Daddy, are you living in yesterday? Or are you able to see what's going on right now and realize we can't stay the way we've always been? Let's grow. Let's get deeper. <laughs> Let's get some L in front of our Beth L. Come to prayer meeting. Stay around an altar. Be a giver. Be a forgiver. Be a worshiper. Help us. We're trying to build something. 
And it's against all these forces around us, but it doesn't matter. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I know it's Father's Day and I try so often to be positive with you. But let me tell you about Noah and his message. Noah, I find nowhere in the word did Noah get up and say, there's a blessing coming your way. Nowhere when I read the preaching of Amos do I find him saying, just confess it, you'll possess. Just, just say it and you can have it. Jeremiah did not preach, I'm okay, you're okay. The prophet Daniel did not preach possibility thinking moves mountains. And John the Baptist never preached, smile, Jesus loves you. I'm telling you, every one of them guys had the same message. Repent, 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 repent. And it wasn't an easy message to preach then and it's not an easy message to preach now, but it's Father's Day and I'm after you. Come on, it's time to go. It's time to grow. It's time to have a personal walk with the Lord, Daddy. Nail, put that nail in a sure place that it can't be pulled out. Stand with me. It was just a couple weeks before my dad died. He was melancholy. I said, what's wrong with you, Daddy? He said, I wish I could have done more for God with my life here. I said, well, you know, you might have done more than you gave yourself credit for. And he said, well, why would you say that? I said, Daddy, do you remember when Mother and you went to Clinton, Illinois, and you spent so much time with a man and his wife called John and Marlena Carson? Yes. And even though my dad was getting very foggy, I said, do you remember the little boy when God restored the love in their marriage, they were gonna get a divorce. God restored the love in their marriage and they had a little blonde haired kid. And he said, Joshua. I said, yeah, 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 that's the kid, daddy. I said, Joshua's not a little kid anymore, daddy. He's 40 years old and he's got a family. And last week, they voted Josh Carson in as the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he said, Brother Hershon's Brother church. Said, yeah. And I'll never forget, he's just squared his shoulders and went, well, maybe I am the man. Maybe I am the man. My dad told me one time, Harold, just cause you work hard, doesn't mean you work smart. He said, I've worked hard all my life, son. I don't have much to leave you. I said, daddy, you left me a heritage. I'll take the heritage over the inheritance any day of the week. If you're a dad, come with me. You're a dad with me. We'll do everything we can to love you. I mean, what other church gonna give you a crossbow? <laughs> you gotta come to church just for that, for goodness sake. <laughs> but I'm after you right now. This is one of your men come up here. Stand by your man. If your kids are here and your daddy's up here, come up here by your dad. Oh, Jesus. 
Daddy, I want you to bless your wife with me right now. Pray for your wife right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for a help meet and not just a help mate. Thank you for this amazing woman that's weathered these storms with me. Thank you for the mother of my children. I'm asking you to bless my wife right now. You got kids around you, I want you to put your hand on them boys. You may not have a wife here, but you got kids, boys, good. Come up here, bless them kids for goodness sake. Oh, Jesus, be the priest of your home right now. Oh, Jesus, you're gonna have dinner today. Please don't get around the table and say good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Why don't you tell your testimony, Daddy? Tell about how the Lord gave you your sweetheart. Talk to them kids about when they were born, how it changed your life. Talk to them about finding God. Tell them a story about a miracle that you've seen in your life. I want some dads that know how to get to L and not just go to church. Praise God. Would you pray with me? Maybe, maybe wife, mom, grandma, son, daughter. Why don't you put your hand on your daddy, your grandpa? Why don't you pray for him right now? Lord Jesus, is there anything more emasculated in this country than the American male? I ask you, Lord, right now. I'm not talking about arrogance, but I am talking about confidence that we step into our role. We step into the leadership of being the priest of our home. God right now be with these people we can fix this we can solve these riddles we just gotta have a cohesive family godly daddy in love with a godly mom raising children to know how to serve the Lord
family.